0: Hi everyone, thank you for listening and welcome to episode two of DevOps Squared. For this week's episode, we're talking containers and I'm delighted to be joined by Katie Gubanky who is a cloud platform engineer with American Express. Okay, first of all, Welcome, Katie. Thank you for taking the time to discuss containers with us this week. Um, I know it's a hot topic in in the industry, and I've certainly been uh, looking forward to to this myself. Um, Just to kick us off, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, uh, and of course, what it is you do for American Express?
1: Hi, Martin. I'm very glad to be here. and part of this podcast. As you mentioned, uh, my name is Katie Gumanji, and I am a cloud platform engineer for American Express. I'm part of the One Infrastructure team, and the purpose of my team at the moment is to transform the current platform by embracing the cloud native principles and making the best use of the open source tools. As well, my involvement in the open source community is translated from my role as a TOC, or Technical Oversight Committee Member for the CNCF. Pretty much alongside ten other champions within the open source community, I will be responsible to steer and maintain the CNC landscape. Pretty much, we are the group of people that shapes and make sure that the right projects are joining the open source community. And that's pretty much what I'm doing in my daily job, as well as how I'm involved in my open source community. Yeah.
0: Okay. Perfect. Thanks, Kate, for that. It's a really good introduction to yourself. Um, so as as I said last week, um for, for people that listen last week, one of the first questions I want to ask every guest that comes onto the show just to get a feel for what they feel about the subject and also just to let you know as listeners that there are many different opinions when it comes to DevOps and they're all they're all valid. Um, so the ver- first question that I'm gonna ask is what does DevOps mean to you?
1: That's a very good question. I think the answer to this question has been different throughout years on my side, but I think at the moment I find DevOps as more of a technique instead of tooling that kind of tries to close the gap between the infrastructure and development team. As well, I see DevOps as a way to provide a solution of how to deliver better value to to your product and customers. So I don't see DevOps necessarily as a way to automate things or reduce uh, the cost of infrastructure. It's more of a technique that as a bonus can lead us to have benefits of running a more lightweight infrastructure platform of having a better rollout time to production from sandbox and so forth. So for me, it's, it's more of like a technique the, of collaboration between teams, and as I mentioned in my in my view, its main focus is on how can you better deliver value to the product, and this makes it quite fluid in terms of the teams that create the DevOps culture. And I think nowadays in um uh, in the community there are a lot of DevOps topologies, and some of them are actually regarded as anti patterns, where you have teams that they operate in a way where DevOps is not necessarily the credo, but they still deliver the product. But I think more popular nowadays, we have the actual DevOps topologies, where we have this collaboration between the teams. As well, DevOps for me means collaboration in a very, very major lines. So it's all about collaboration. It's all about how can you identify the functions and close the gap between how your product reaches uh, the, the customer and everything in between such as operation infrastructure, and so forth. So I think, in a nutshell, it's a technique rather than a, a way to to deploy or deliver infrastructure. It's a technique to collaboration.
0: Okay, good. I, I really like um, a lot of the things you were, you were talking about in there. And, and one of the things I believe in quite a lot, actually, is you said it a few times in there, value, um, and mm-hmm. I often think a lot of people get lost um, as to what what they're actually doing DevOps for. You know, why are we spending all this time transforming our uh, company's culture? Why are we sending all of these people on courses? Why are we getting all these experts in? I think, you know, people tend to lose sight of, of what they're actually um, doing. Uh, I completely um, agree. Why are they doing absolutely. that? Yes,
1: absolutely. I completely agree. And I think it's... Uh... As a product, as a company, you have a product and you want this product to be used by your customers. And more importantly, you want to incorporate the feedback from your customers into new features. So you have this, you want to have this loop as tight uh, as possible. And throughout, like DevOps, DevOps, can be a technique or a, a way of collaboration to make this feedback loop as short and as concise as possible. So again, like we shouldn't lose the decide that as a company you have a product and you want this product to be used and you want this to generate more um, well in a way revenue as well but it's all about the customers and how can you get the feedback incorporating your product and build on top of that so that that's how i see it as well yeah so i think it's very important to to keep this in mind it's how can you improve your product and what techniques can you use to do that
0: yeah, that's a really good one, and that, that lines up really well with you know my my wider ethos and wider belief that um, D- DevOps is is actually something different to every organisation, and to make it work, you you can't do what you've learned at previous organisations, and, and organisations will have done something the way they've done it for a specific reason. So it's not for it's not really for us as experts to go in and and. You start rubbishing what they've done, um, you know, by all means, challenge it to, to try and get them to improve because we, we should be improving how we do DevOps within an organization all of the time. Um, but I think one of the things that we've not been great at as, as a group of experts and, and as technology organizations, really, is, is going and saying, you know, th- no, no, no. This isn't how you do DevOps. When, when actually, you know, who are we to say that that's not the way to do DevOps if it works for the organization?
1: Again, I agree here, and I'm uh, yes. Yeah, like, what I really want to focus is we have to challenge the current way of deploying things, the current way of the state of of the art. So it's all about challenging and kind of moving forward. And and again, there is no one right way to do DevOps in any company. It's going to be so very much tailored to the, to the chemistry between the teams, to the product itself, to the architecture that was adopted previously. So there is a lot of uh, different components that play a role within, uh, within collaboration between the teams. But again, DevOps, it's a very kind of broad term and a very broad technique, but which doesn't have one answer to fit all solutions. problems
0: actually Mm. yeah yeah i i completely agree and 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 i do just want to segue a real tiny bit actually um i made a i made a promise a mental promise to myself that i'd i try not to mention coronavirus (laughs) going through Mm. recording some of the first load of podcasts (laughs) but so something that's been on my mind quite a lot recently and i've done some virtual um Meetup events, for and, and I've spoken about this with a few people. Is, you know, I, I have quite a strong belief at the minute from seeing what's been happening through organisations um, expanding their use of video conferencing tools like like Teams or Webex or Zoom. Um, th- there's obviously engineering teams behind those that are, are working flat out to make sure that these products work exactly how they're designed to. I'm and, quite
1: certain of that, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and, you know, as, as an engineer, I can only imagine <laughs> what what kind of stress <laughs> they're under at the minute. But one of the things um, that I, I was hoping to try and get your opinion on that's just come to mind, really, is is do you think that organizations that have made that move to DevOps are, and are in, you know, what we might deem a mature place, do you think they are better placed to ride the, the crisis that we're in? At the minute over their competitors that are, are, are maybe using more traditional ways of working or or do you think because of the the magnitude of the problem that we're facing uh, as an industry and as uh, you know widely as an economy that that is fundamentally not going to make a difference?
1: That's a very good question. wow <laughs> i think I think this is very, very dependent on on the product and the company. I think, from this crisis, it's going to be very clear if a company can truly do remote first. And remote first doesn't necessarily mean um, how you develop your product remotely, but how your team collaborates remotely. Being on Zoom the entire time, it's, uh, it's quite insightful to how, how much more input we can have sometimes. Usually, we have only one member of the team being, um, being working remotely once a week or maybe full time and we kind of marginalize this youth's point. But now we actually can see this full um, dynamics within a team and the colleagues within the team. And I think from this perspective, it's a truly cultural shift rather than anything else. And I think nowadays, most of the companies, at least they kind of um, adopted new technologies such as cloud, which means they don't necessarily need to be in the office. To maybe to manage the service, hopefully not. Um, or they don't have a stationary desk or like a computer. They're going to have a laptop, which means they they already will be able to work from home. And I wouldn't see so much difference towards the product development in many companies because throughout the years they they have been able to evolve and adapt to these new conditions. What I'm really seeing from this this crisis is a truly cultural shift of remote first and this in itself imposes different different challenges as i mentioned how do you make sure that everyone is involved how do you make sure that communication within the team is um is solid and this means how do you do communications asynchron- asynchronously rather than having meetings all day and just keeping the keeping people in one meeting room um uh, virtually it, it's quite impossible so it's all about how it's different techniques and Within Amex or American Express, I've been, I've been amazed to see this shift happening within one week. We usually, actually, previously we had 15,000 employees working remotely. That was the nature of their job. But within one week, we transitioned to 60,000 employees remote completely. And this was possible because we've already adopted, um, different math- methodologies to make sure that our product will be able to contribute it and develop it still, regardless if we are in the office or not. So I really want to applaud the the effort that has been happening throughout the years. And we actually can see that this was successful. And it didn't, ha- well, at least in our company's case, it didn't um, create a massive gap in our product development. It's more, as I mentioned, it's more about the cultural shift.
0: Mm, that's it. That's it. That's a good interesting um, perspective and, and I think you know back to you know just really quickly back to some of the fundamentals that we always talk about is is DevOps is people process technology uh, and culture and, and if you don't start mm-hmm. with culture and um, that doesn't then shape your people that doesn't then shape your processes which then shapes your technology and um, so I think that's a, that's a really key point that you've hit on there and a key message that to to get this right and to you know effectively at a moment's notice be able to carry on as though nothing's really happened is all mm-hmm. down to the culture that's been born within the organization or other you know lots of hard work and many years of, of people you know getting the messaging right and and really focusing in on what they want to achieve
1: Precisely, yeah
0: Okay, well, um, apologies for the, uh, the question to, to sidetrack your uh, thinking there a, a little bit. It's just something that uh, come to mind. Um, okay. So on on containers, and, and and I'll be I'll be really honest. I'm I'm fascinated by containers. Um, <laughs> so in in a way that I, I you know I've I've spent the last probably five or six years now of of my career working with uh, cloud technology. Most of that has been uh, Microsoft Azure as, as a technology stack um, and mm-hmm. when, when I have all of these cloud tools available to me and uh, I'm I'm very fortunate enough to to know um, how to develop, I come from a development background um, and also an operational background as, as well but you know, you know, know, thinking of the development side of that, if I have all of these platform as a service offerings available to me to be able to develop my application and make it work exactly for the cloud, yeah, you know, I've always been interested into where containers come in and, and why, you know, would I write my application for containers? Would, you know, is it just for legacy applications and stuff? So, so we'll come into some of that. But for, for mm-hmm. the people that maybe aren't really aware of, of what containers are, can you just explain, um, you know, as, <laughs> I, I guess as high level as possible, what exactly are containers?
1: I like to describe containers as a minimal environment that is required for application execution. That's it. Uh, so what I actually mean by that, you have an application, you require some resources such as CPU and memory, you require some dependencies for your application, and containers is the best way you can encapsulate all of this within um, within a restricted kind of environment, w- which means that you'll be able to most importantly, replicate it and uh, transfer it to different platforms. So again, just to, in a nutshell, I would, I would see it as just the minimal um, environment necessary for application execution. That's the way I would always explain it.
0: Okay. And it, my, is my understanding correct that in a containers environment, traditionally, I know some uh, vendors may have, Uh, change their offerings to to be able to do this but generally speaking the the word containers comes from the fact that one cannot talk to another one they're completely segregated.
1: Absolutely yes I think the idea behind containers is that you can have multiple applications which are containerized running on the same operating host uh, operating system. Now this is possible because it's, it's all about the limitation of resources so Previously this was um, like as a process, which means if you have a process running on, on your machine, it will be able to consume some of the networking components, CPU memory, file systems, and so forth. However, the process itself is not limited. While it's with a container, you actually specifically or declaratively specify that this is the only amount of resources that is attributed to this process. And it will not be able to kind of Uh, overlap or burst over that, which means that we can have a controlled environment to run multiple multiple of these containers, but at the same time they will not be able to um I wouldn't say necessarily interact, but it it wouldn't be able to um kind of influence one another in a bad way. Like for example, resource overconsumption or something like that. They will always have the environment where they can run independently of each other. And obviously depending on the requirements we have, we'll be able to interact within them. Replicate them, scale them, and so forth.
0: So, um, so yeah, based on that knowledge, then, um, like most virtualization platforms before containers, um, you know, going back a few years to VMWare and Hyper-V, I guess the 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 main principle as well from a security perspective is that if if bad code is executed within a container, um, it cannot then bleed within uh, another container or even worse, the underlying host which has multiple containers.
1: Precisely, yes. It's all about having this isolated environment to execute your application.
0: Okay, great. Um, so, so now we've got some foundational knowledge of of exactly what containers are and, and a little bit about how they work. Um, what what problems do containers actually solve? Because there's obviously quite a bit of infrastructure associated with. Um, being able to host containers to start with and then uh, managing containers and themselves monitoring containers. So what, what mm-hmm. problems do containers actually solve?
1: I think speaking from a world where the heritage was using VMs, containers are a lightweight version of running your application. That means that you don't have to operate um, an OS on top of your container and you don't have to even download that into your container. Is just dismissed. You just need the, um, the. The minimal or lightweight version of operating system without any. Um, uh, kind of interface available because you'll be able to interact with the command line. So one of the main things is lightweightness. Another thing which I was mentioning before it's portability. Now because we have this isolated environment for all uh, well, kind of container or pod however we want to to refer refer it to. We'll be able to port it to different operating system. This means that we'll have the same environment for application, but we'll be able to run it on host operating systems like Linux. You'll be able to run it on Windows. You'll be uh, able to run it on CentOS, whatever your flavor of um, kind of host operating system is. You'll be able to, to run that. But more importantly, inside of the container, you're going to have the, the same environment. So you'll be able to replicate that container anywhere. And obviously we have lightweightness. We have portability. And obviously I mentioned resources because we don't have to have this overhead of the entire interface of the operating system. That's completely dismissed. So you have a better usability of your resources considering CPU and memory as well. Um, and another thing with the containers, it makes it very easy to test and most importantly, reduces the time to push your Uh, configuration or unique code from sandbox to production. and This is possible because in a world where you have VMs, you actually have to spend a couple of days to provision your VM, make sure that it's configured right, then you spend some time to put your application into that VM. You know it's running, but how do you push that to production environment? That means that you have to replicate the issuing and the uh, putting your application on top of VM over and over again, all the way to production with a container, because it has this individual environment for execution, we'll be able to transpose it for the sandbox and staging quite seamlessly. Usually the way we do that is, uh, it's actually happening automatically. The only thing we need to do to push it to production is usually pushing the button. So, and this is possible because it has, it has this portability feature. And and of course with the containers, it's it's all about scalability. It's all about resiliency. uh, It's all about um in, in a way I wouldn't say self healing, but rec- um, easiness to recreate. You don't have to necessarily uh, troubleshoot a problem. If the container, for example, is compromised, you with very, uh, very little effort, you'll be able to bring up a new copy of your container with the application running. Um so all of this kind of encapsulate the benefits of having containers within one organization.
0: Mm, okay, so well, you know, I think one of the things that I picked up um, from there, and this has long been my belief as to why containers is so popular with uh, DevOps, and, and why it is it is generally bundled together with DevOps in terms of talking about it, and um, when you go to conferences and user groups, you, you generally get containers come up at some of those events at some point is you know you talked to you talked about the size of the package because there's no Mm -hmm. operating system so that makes deployment very quick and it also means that packaging up or build and deployment of that fits very nicely into ci and cd continuous integration and continuous deployment so it it feels like to me that that's that's exactly why uh, a a lot of organizations uh, that practice uh, devops And they're in a mature place that feels like one of the biggest reasons that they go down that route is because it can still fit within the methodologies that you you know and love with DevOps, um, but gives you a different target platform other than just platform as a service. It gives you a a lot more control in a a lot of ways.
1: Precisely. And I think going back to the DevOps uh, culture with the containers, a developer, for example, they actually can fully focus on their application. They don't necessarily need to worry about the infrastructure. What they usually need is they develop application and usually they will need to write um, or interact or test the application locally with docker which means they by default are going to have this dockerized image for, for the application which can be portable anywhere. So from, from a developer point of view what they the skills they need to acquire are, are docker but from an infrastructure point of view they, what we actually need is just take that image deploy it and that's the only thing that the two teams need to kind of um, overlap in terms of knowledge and make sure that the upscaling of these skills are are there but definitely with the containers this is a more um, sustainable way to develop your product
0: okay good um yeah that's that's certainly for my understanding anyway like i've been intrigued in containers for quite a while while it starts to make a lot more sense to me than stuff I've read uh, online if I'm honest it's, it's a lot clearer the way you're describing it um so just just moving on a little bit and thinking about um how you use containers at, at American Express um so what advantage is the, the containers give you at American Express why, why was that a, a route that the organization decided to go down
1: I think pretty much all of the advantages I mentioned about containers, such as uh, portability and scalability and resilience, all of these were a very good um, motive, I would say, to to move towards a containerized world. And I think within the team at the moment uh, and the work that we do is fully uh, focused on containerized application, so we actually have a stream of work which uh, aims to containerize some of our processes, especially our observability stacks. So we move them from being processes to actually containers. Which means that uh, when we're going to create a more cloud-native platform, that transition is going to be seamless. So we have we already doing a lot of heavy lifting at the moment. Um With the containers, again, we we actually can. Uh, introduce most of, most of the, um, best practices within the cloud native world. Um, and these, this is again is transposed within different streams of work we have. So again, with containers, it's more easier for us to push our application to a different platform. But at the same time, we have a new prototype of CI CD, which is incorporated with at the moment we're prototyping Argo CD, which means that we'll be able to, um, of create our containers using a GitOps model where the source of of truth is going to be within our Git repositories. Um, As well, the containers themselves, they uh, impose a new way of um, monitoring your infrastructure. So we have enhancements going on um, happening for our observability stack. Um, How can we overview this container world better? Um, and another, another initiative within the container world that we do is the introduction of a very solid service mesh. And currently we're prototyping Istio and making sure that we have this communication between containers, um, as transparent and as visible as possible, especially in a microservice based architecture where your request maybe goes to 10 different microservices before actually gives a result to the user. So I think with the containers, it, it it's not just about Yes, transform this into something portable, but it's more about the like um other changes that we need to do within our infrastructures to make sure that we can have a containerized platform, but more importantly we can manage it in a very resilient way.
0: Okay, that's that's interesting. That's interesting, so and good to, to hear the insights of you know, why why an organisation has, has gone down a specific route. I always find it interesting to understand some of the different reasons um, that organisations have gone the route they've, they've gone um, with specific technology. And I guess one of the follow-ups to that is that, obviously, American Express are, uh, you know, I would definitely deem them a, a large enterprise. I think it was 60,000 users, um, you said earlier, that are obviously now working at home. But that's, a, that's mm-hmm. quite a large organisation, so with that becomes certainly from a containers perspective comes um, quite a lot of scale. So, so how do we, how do we even start to manage containers at scale? Because they, they, they can grow exponentially. I'm, I am imagine when you talk about having multiple instances of one application running uh, potentially different regions uh, as well. So how, how do we go about managing containers at scale?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. Currently, Within American Express, we have a platform that is composed of thousands of containers, and scale is something we need to think about at all times, and you need to consider it at all times. Um, when running containers at scale, I think the first step is uh, obviously when you have an application, the first step is to dockerize it, so maybe have a Docker container to, to test it locally. However, when it it comes to like a, a more like uh, an immense amount of replicas docker is not be, going to be able to support that and we need to move to an orchestration framework for the containers and historically there have been a, a few of these platforms uh, maybe six years ago we had tools such as Docker Swarm and coreless fleet and apache mesos however kubernetes took the lead lately in defining how a container is going to be um managed within managed and defined within the cluster so i think we are heavily kubernetes user at the moment the new platform that we actually trying to create is going to be uh, around kubernetes and i think kubernetes itself is one of the central products for the current cloud native landscape as well it's known for its open source nature and it's known for its uh, open contribution from different vendors and it's um, kind of widely um, wide adoption within the community as well. So I think for us at American Express, we are kind of Kubernetes um, first when it comes to our platform and managing containers to scale.
0: Okay, and that's that's interesting. So just to be just to be clear on that, um, for, for obviously people that are unaware, Kubernetes uh, itself is is not the container technology it's more the management plane and, and making sure that your container clusters are operating as optimal as possible, and, and being responsible for making sure that uh, containers end up in the right place at the right time.
1: Absolutely. So what Kubernetes actually delivers is a mechanism to make sure that you have enough resources to schedule your um, your container. Uh, it'll be able to come with an abstraction layer over your application. and This is uh, widely known as a deployment. Now with the deployment, we'll be able to ensure that we have an amount of replicas of our application, but at the same time it comes with a self-healing capability, which means if our application goes down, don't have to wake up in the middle of the night, Kubernetes or the API server will be able to identify that, see the crashed pod, um, delete it and recreate the pod, with a new version of your application. So this is actually a very important step in how we manage our infrastructure. And these are just some of the core features because Kubernetes throughout the years um, has um, developed a kind of a suite of features that is not just about container uh, lifecycle, but it's about how it can you manage state, how can you manage your databases and volumes and so forth. So it's it's quite a a big ecosystem, but at the same time, it brings a lot of uh, benefits to to manage your containers seamlessly.
0: Okay, that's 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 really interesting. And um I, one of the things I certainly picked up on there, linking back to something we were talking about earlier, is uh, some of the self healing capabilities, which, which is mm-hmm. every operations team's dream. I think to not not get woken Absolutely. up in the middle of the night and apps <laughs> Uh, and I guess that ability to um, automatically redeploy your application ultimately from from source, so so from uh, get effectively through your pipelines, is um, is is where the the size of the package and the size of the deployment and um, h- how small that package ends up being uh, means that we can deploy it as as quickly as possible, so that downtime, if there is any, is is absolutely minimal, and and that's a real key thing, right, because we obviously wouldn't be able to do that using that the VM example you were talking about earlier, having to jump onto a VM, copy files across, do some config, uh, make sure IIS is or Apache is working or whatever application uh, we rely on, whereas this we just basically uh, pick, up, pick up the application from source, run it through CI and CD, uh, and then pass it over to Kubernetes to say, go, go sort this out.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. I think with the VMs, there is, there is a lot of overhead in managing application. And it's not just about the hardware you have to manage, but it's about the way you deploy to those, um, to those machines. And I think, again, like having multiple replicas of application of VM uh, centric. Infrastructure is, uh, I think it's quite a hassle because you have to have VIP on top of them. You have to make sure that it's both of the replicas are available and so forth. With Kubernetes and the containers, you can pretty much scale your application with one command. You, you can you don't even need to do that. There is a horizontal pod autoscaler which will scale your application automatically based on the metrics coming from your application. So it's it's quite a sophisticated mechanism that does a lot of heavy lifting. So from a Infrastructure engineer point of view, what you have to do with Kubernetes is just to make, uh, it's it's all about enhancement, like application management is pretty much done. It's more about how can you um, maybe tailor that infrastructure to the product? How can you get better visibility? How can you have um, Secure communication between the pods and so forth. So, you actually can really focus on the advanced features for a platform rather than how can you replicate or how can you provision this application into the end. So, the shift of of the work is completely changed.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. And the more the more we talk about this, and and the more you talk through some examples there, the more I see where containers solves a lot of problems and and increases uptime potentially. Uh, as well, I think, and and reduces the need for uh, call-outs within the operations team. So there's there's all-around benefits, I think, is one of the key things uh, to take away from that that little segment there. Um, I just want to move on a little bit and talk a little bit about the uh, CNCF that you mentioned in your introduction. So just tell us briefly what the CNCF is and, and how it benefits the technology ecosystem.
1: Certainly. Um, CNCF stands for Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and it is a non-profit organization that focuses on giving a home for fast-growing projects in a vendor-neutral environment. And I think what I really want to emphasize here is the vendor neutrality. Now, when we accept a project to be part of the CNCF um, community or landscape, what we really want to focus is it has a very diverse contributor base, and it doesn't have uh, vendor-prone language which means that we don't really it's not going to be possible to monetize the product um, which is actually a very important thing from this uh, from this starting point we'll have multiple contributors actually contributing and involving this project and it's going to be an organic kind of development rather than an enforced one or pushed by vendor and we from this we'll be able to see actual uh contribution to the product that are necessary to the users at the moment so as for example i'm using a product which is open source i need this particular feature it takes me maybe one hour to deliver that uh, maybe feature like write the code submit it the community again the community members are going to review the pr they're going to merge it and this is how i will benefit from this because i'll have this new feature within this open like open source project but at the same time this is bringing value to the wider community as well and it's all about building on top of it i would i would describe it like uh, maybe as an ever-growing lego project that doesn't necessarily have an end goal but it's an organic growth that is not um it's not influenced by a specific vendor and this is what pretty much cncf tries to deliver for um for the technology ecosystem at the moment
0: Okay, that's that's really interesting. Um, I, I must admit, I I knew of the CNCF and and have read up on some of the projects that are, are part of the CNCF, but never really realised some of the um, the attributes that you look for in projects before accepting them. And I guess when you're talking about the the core technologies that make up our industry, um, not being able to to profit for them from them in a uh, you know, a, a nefarious way in a lot of what ways is, I guess, a really fundamental principle that makes a community like that work.
1: Exactly. And I think, again, like the CNCF has, has started this maybe years ago, and it was pretty much around Kubernetes. And I think to most of these open source projects, uh, the core or one of the main component is to integrate with Kubernetes components. So it's, it's more of an ecosystem around Kubernetes, but not only. It's, it's all about how can you, um, develop new features and capabilities at the expense of, um, novel companies? Like I want to contribute. I want to make the wider community. Um, uh, how can I say enrich the wider community? You'll be able to do that with, with ease.
0: Okay, that's that's good. And so, so you say you're um, part of the Technical Oversight Committee um, for the CNCF as well. What, what exactly does that role involve?
1: Uh, so I think this February, uh, beginning of February, I was elected as one of the end-user TOC, or Technical Oversight Committee member. And it's only 11 of us, but what our purpose is is to actually make sure that we have a a roadmap for the technical vision when it comes to the CNSF landscape. Now the CNSF landscape is divided in different areas um, or different features. Um, Some of them are focusing on the networking component. We have um, a quite wide product range for databases, storages, CI, CD. Um, service mesh and so forth. So there is like different products and we have hundreds of products at the moment within the CNCF landscape. However, within the CNCF, there is a pipeline for the project to, to grow and to have, um, more, con- what is it, more contribution, but to be, um, a knowledge as mature if need be. So as a project, the TOC will, we will make sure that the right projects enter the sandbox, which are still experimental projects. They're still ideas, prototypes. If it's something which the community really wants, they contribute, the product is gonna grow. Some of these uh, uh, companies are gonna use the product in uh, maybe in staging, sometimes in production. And with these use cases, we'll be able to make a decision if uh, the project is right to move to the incubation stage. So we have, the the product is a bit more mature. It's not necessarily production-wide kind of product, but it has a lot of potential. And the last stage within this CNCF pipeline is graduation. Now, at the moment we have projects such as Kubernetes and Prometheus. Uh, We're gonna actually have Helm at the moment, which has applied for the the graduation status and it's ongoing. So there's like a lot of product and some of these products you already know about them because they are widely used. They are in production in multiple companies and they actually very stable and mature and this is the pipeline we have within the CNCF. The TOC will be will make sure that we can help the projects to to reach every single stage and if not we'll provide feedback why not or why exactly this project is not necessarily right for this particular stage at the moment. So the this is the pretty much the role of the TOC.
0: Okay wow well, that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a lot of um... Work then and obviously you know what one of the things that that I, I I took from that is is if my project has been um submitted to the cncf if if you turn around and say no at any point of the stage that it goes along then you know you're in the in the collaborative spirit really I'm not just saying no <laughs> go fix it you're saying no you need to do a b and c and then come back to us
1: Precisely. We, as a DOC, we or the CNCF. We don't want to be maker. We don't want to be like promote one product. That's not the point. We, we have to be neutral in terms of how we make our decisions as well. Um, and we have to make sure that the product that in, like is introduced within the ecosystem actually benefits or brings new features. And there are like very heavily pointed out criteria. For- yeah. Where they actually can apply for a particular stage. So for us, it's it's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, it's sure that the ecosystem can grow organic. Our focus.
0: Okay, great. That's, that's really good and, and you know really important part of the the ecosystem. And mm-hmm. um, it, you know, definitely from from the stuff I know and understand you guys doing a an amazing job so so everyone should definitely be really proud of the work that's going on there and that the effort that goes in because it's obviously alongside everyone's day job as well right so this is stuff that people do voluntarily so you, you know this is this is a huge thing that people are giving up their time um to be able to support and make sure that we we are in a better better cloud world basically um
1: precisely and i think one of my for a technical people can I don't know uh, give ideas they can contribute one way or the other so I really want to encourage that from everyone who's listening to this podcast
0: okay perfect and um, just just for everyone's information you can find the cncf uh, uh, cncf cncf.io I think Yes, the
1: CNCF.io uh, will have the central point, which will uh, be able to go to different resources, such as the CNCF interactive CNCF landscape. Uh, some of the core principles for cloud native, CNCF is advocating for um, a lot of information in regards to what the open source community around CNCF wants to to deliver and promote, promote advocate, um, is going to be found there.
0: Okay great well that that's again that's absolutely um, amazing that you know you and the other people are willing to give up your time to support that um, initiative and, and make everyone else's job a, a, a lot easier when it comes to consuming some of this technology. Um, I just want to just want to move on to a, a question that I know um, a lot of people will will want to know the answer to and, and that is if you you know if I want to learn more about containers, what what are your top resources to to go learn this in a bit more detail? So when you, when you were learning containers, where where did you go to to learn more about the technology and and more about how to use it?
1: I think when it comes to containers, there are a plethora of resources out there, and most of them are free. And um, generally, if you just type, how do can I. Uh, I don't know, learn containers, I, of, I think that they're going to be plenty of resources. But there is one that I really mention in every single uh, opportunity I have, and then the Katacoda tutorials. Now with Katacoda, we have these um, terminals and tutorials. Um, actually, they are tutorials where you have your task and you have your terminal with the predefined environment already. and You will be able to test and learn containers without the hassle of to making sure that you can configure your machine right, Just going to this platform, you'll be able to learn straight away. So I think this is a very efficient way to to learn about containers. They have um, plenty of um, tutorials around Kubernetes on one. If you want to learn about container scratch, you can go to Docker, understand how can you Dockerize your application, how Docker became a runtime um, within the Kubernetes world, and then transition to kind of learning Kubernetes components. So I think this has been a very, uh, how can I say, a very solid way of interactive learning for myself throughout years. And I really would like to advise for other people to use it as well.
0: Okay, good. Well, thank, thanks for that. That's some, some really good, useful places for us to you know, go learn a bit more about this and, and start building up our uh, knowledge and, con- and containers. One of the things I wanted to finish on was, um, I, I guess, thinking about some of the horror stories around containers and i saw an article on the register um it was actually last year i think the article um but it was around um ford the the motor company and um, basically having to write down uh, an investment that they took on uh, pivotal software so no, no no specific dig at pivotal software at all which it's to be an article that i found and mm-hmm. basically they were saying that they had to Take a write down on that, really, because ultimately, um, what what they had come up with w- was not going to work with Kubernetes um, properly, and and the headline was actually uh, quite quite damning in a lot of ways. It was uh, Ford writes down 108 to 1 million dollar pivotal stock as investors claim cloud business can't do kubernetes properly and that's you know that's quite a a damning article for a cloud company to have written about them but you know what what Mm -hmm. would you say some of the common challenges or some of the common issues that that could go wrong with kubernetes or or containers in general what should people be looking out for
1: oh there are so many things that can go wrong in a microservice based architecture pretty much everything can go down at different times um but i think i think I was actually reading the article, and what really stood out to me is that um, companies really need to look more into what the community and what the users want. And I think that they were not able to produce this Kubernetes um, um, uh, Kubernetes kind of prone uh, integration. That was quite uh, quite a disappointment because there's a lot of shift from from the community towards this product but this is i think this is one learning for their side but when you're talking about containers in kubernetes and um, managing it at scale i think again um failure can happen at all times i think the most the biggest challenge actually is to understand kubernetes and understand how can you deploy your application and understand all this new vocabulary of the kubernetes components you have deployments you have configuration maps you have um, um, uh, volumes and so forth. So there are a lot of components you need to be aware of. But this is the first level. It gets more challenging when you want to introduce a a mesh layer, um, which is a completely new dictionary of words you need to understand, and how you route your traffic within your cluster can be fully um, reconfigured with these mesh layers. So I think the challenges with operating Kubernetes, it's the learning curve, it's actually quite steep and I think most have been quite vocal about it um but again like once you learn all of this ecosystem is pretty much the same there's obviously building blocks all around you can customize Kubernetes to a point where you can create your own customer source definitions and so forth so it's, it's really a um it's provisions it provisions this environment to really customize your infrastructure to your product But I think the challenges with it is, again, learning it. And I think when it comes to failure, um, one thing that I want to mention is usually you'd never really test your product up to the point it's in production. If you have hundreds of Kubernetes clusters, you push it to like different staging environments, you have different testing going on but improvement breaks because, for example, you don't have enough resources or something happens. So failure is always going to happen. It's how can we recover from this? And I think there is never a better way to be prepared for failure rather than actually do some chaos engineering. And there has been different tools to, to be integrated at the well, actually to introduce failure at the infrastructure level where you purposely will destroy something in a cluster or remove something in your cluster and see the behavior. And from that is uh, you have a lot of learning points and you're gonna have a very well kind of uh, versed playbook playbook, runbook on how to, to fix the infrastructure. So again, we can never work here when it comes to any infrastructure, any product, but we can be prepared to a better or less level. So it's all about how can you really understand what's happening and how can you prepare yourself for a, disaster case
0: okay that's that's great that's really useful uh, information and I guess you know add on top of that if you're um you know if you've been in IT a while um good good solid monitoring uh, and good solid procedures in place to be able to recover and detect these issues is, is obviously a, a key part of that as well Um now we, we've actually come to the the end of our um, time already. Um, I certainly really enjoyed that. I've learned quite a lot um, about containers and, and some of the associated technologies. Um, I just want to thank you, Katie, for giving up some of your time to record this um, with me. And thank you to everyone that was listening for throughout this episode. Um, Next week uh, in episode three, um, we are going to be talking to Anthony Hodson, who is a solution architect within Sono. and we are going to be talking about DevOps when it comes to outsourcing. Um, And again, that's a conversation I'm really looking forward to. And I know it's something that is an issue for a lot of people and something that a lot of people have a lot of questions on. So um, join us next week where we'll be talking about what that means for your organization if that's something that you're looking at but um, just to wrap this one up hopefully you enjoyed uh, today's show Uh, and again thank you Katie for your uh, time and your expertise in this area Uh, best of luck with the CNCF uh, and I I know you're fairly new at American Express as well so best of luck with your continued role there and um, yeah again thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Martin. It's been a real pleasure to be part of this podcast. As well, uh, if any of the listeners would like to I'm available on LinkedIn. As well, if they want to learn a bit more of the projects I'm involved with, I have a post on Medium where they can kind of get uh, more into, into the work I'm doing and contrib- the contribution to, to the open source I have. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no problem. Pleasure is definitely all mine again. Um, very, very good to for you to spend some time with us, and hopefully everyone has, has got some great insights from you in uh, just exactly what te- uh, what containers are, rather how that technology could help them, and uh, you know just exactly what what role the CNCF does in helping us all as engineers working on cloud solutions. And um, so again, thank you everyone for listening and thank you for giving up some of your time to listen to us and just to recap next week we'll be talking about DevOps in an outsourcing model so we'll hopefully speak to you next week